1: To the deciding point, our Crack Rackets recap of the biggest storylines going on throughout the tennis world. Another exceptional week of tennis in the book. A championship weekend in Miami. Saw Hoobie Hercats win his first Masters title. Ashley Barty go back to back. Want to recap all of that action. Preview the first week of the 2021 clay court season. And then talk about a changing of the guard in American men's tennis for today's deciding point. Just going to be me steering the Ship, but of course, to catch up on everything, you can check out our website crackedrackets.com. With that in mind, Westoff, roll the credits. Let's start today's show. What a fantastic week of women's tennis we just watched unfold in Miami. Ashley Barty joining an exclusive list of players. It's Graf, Celis, Sanchez-Vicario, Venus, Serena, and now Ashley Barty. The only six women in WTA history to win back-to-back Miami Opens for Barty. She was so impressive all week long. Fought off match points in her first-round match against Kutsova. Then this weekend gets victory over uh, both Alina Fidelina in straight sets and then Andrescu in straight sets to earn the title, you look for Ashley Barty. Obviously, she's someone we've seen have success before, but this is not her first time in Title Town. This is, you know, the 10th title of her career. First time in her career she's defended a title after winning the previous year's event, and she's the second player this season joining Naomi Osaka to win a title after fighting off a match point earlier in the event. You look for Ashley Barty, and I broke this down extensively on Monday's Break Podcast. It's her movement that separates her from every other player in the women's game right now. It's what makes up for the fact, does she have elite power? No, not compared to the Sabalenkas, the Serenas, the Osaka's of the world, but at worst, she's a half notch below on that forehand side, but her movement allows her to make up for that extra uh, lack of half second of pace she can create because she beats you to the spot a half second early and because of that she's taking the ball early. She's able to go cross court go down the line. She does such a good job of lulling her opponents to sleep by utilizing her backhand slice to slow things down but in the final against Andreescu she completely flipped the script she hit through 70% of her backhands after only uh, after slicing 70% of them I should say in the round leading up to the final, and then just, you know, her serve, her forehand she can play plus one tennis she's a doubles grand slam champion and that's indicative of how good she is as a volleyer her instincts at the net moving forward she's such a tough competitor you know goes up early in the first set of the championship only to see Andrescu get that break back for 2-3 but that immediately breaks Andrescu for 4-2 cruises from there just you know Svitolina didn't have a big enough weapon on these slow Miami courts to hurt Ashley Barty and of course the last time Ashley Barty played the French Open she won the French Open in 2019. Now, Iga Swiatek certainly looked so incredible last year, and there are so many players. Halep with a season under her belt. Sonia Kennan certainly is going to have a thing to say. Garbine Muguruza, and you can go on and on and on, but I mean, moving forward now, you look at Ashley Barty. She can win any event, and she should be considered the favorite in every event she enters here in 2021. She's 14-2 and two now on the year. Was the loss to Mukova at the Australian Open puzzling? Yes, but you look at her pathway to victory. It helped that Andresky was, you know, ailing in that final, but Ashley Barty... Has she played enough tennis to be ranked number one in the world? I'll leave that up to fans to make up that decision for themselves. Certainly, she's a top five player in the women's game. And again, a contender, perhaps the favorite to win every event she plays. Ashley Barty, fantastic this week. So was Bianca Andrescu, by the way. Three set wins over, you know, Amanda Nisimova to get things rolling. She then knocks off Muguruza in three sets, physical three sets against Cerebas. Tormo somehow finds a way, you know, 7-6, 3-6, 7-6 to knock off Sakari in the semifinals. When healthy, her combination of speed, creativity, power, gamesmanship mentality. She can do it all, folks, and again, that's the word, that last one, mentality, was what stuck out for her, because she was hurting physically, clearly, uh, during her quarterfinal, very much her semifinal, and obviously overwhelming in that final match, and yet... She still managed to find a way to the final, still knocked off such a tough degree of competition considering she played no tennis in 2021, and if she can stay healthy, her level, her fitness, her accuracy, precision, they're only going to get better as she continues to get more matches under her belt. That the mentality, that the competitive instincts are still there, it's a really scary thing for the rest of the women's game. Andrescu, a star. So were Sakari, so were Svitolina, who will get overlooked because they lost in the semifinals, but they were spectacular all week long and again another tournament in the books on the women's tour another fantastic level of play Ashley Barty's your superstar she defends her number one world ranking back-to-back in Miami but Andrescu, Zachary Svitolina the entire WTA tour delivering the goods at this year's Miami Open Well, we knew the Miami Open was going to produce some funky results on the men's side, certainly given the fact that it was the first tournament with neither Djokovic, Nadal, nor Federer in the draw since 2003. We thought there was going to be some funkiness that a new champion might emerge. We also expected a lot of the next-gen guys, Medvedev, Rublev, Tsitsipas, Zverev, your top four seeds. We've seen them do it at 500s, at Masters 1000s, at year-end finals, but... How would they respond to the pressure of being the top seeds again? We certainly thought one of them might emerge as champions, but if I would have told you that it was 24-year-old Hubert Herkatz, who emerged with his first Masters 1000 title, first Polish man to ever win a Masters 1000 title, you would have slapped me in the face and called me a slappy because I like to think our fondness for Hubert Hurkacz, Well-documented here at Cracked Rackets. I've talked about him numerous times on our various podcasts, but the 6'5", 6'6", Polish player, did a little bit of everything this week, and you look at his pathway to the final, you can't say the new number 16 in the world didn't earn it. He knocks off Shapovalov, Reunic, Tsitsipas, Rublev, and then Yannick Sinner, to earn his first Masters 1000 title. Herkatz joins Isner, Agassi, and Djokovic as the only other players in ATP history to win their first Masters 1000 titles in Miami. He joins a fairly exclusive list. It's Robredo, Sanga, Medvedev, Hachinov, Federer, Zverev, Nadal, Djokovic. That's your list of ATP players to have won a Masters 1000 title by the age that Hubi Herkatz is now. Again, that's age 24 and one month. And you look at ATP Masters 1000 history. There have been 70 champions. 35 of them have won more than one title. Which way will Hoopy Hercats go? It's tough to say. It's his second title of 2021. He won in Delray Beach. He won a title in Winston-Salem a few years ago. He's earned top 10 wins throughout his career. He's now 4-1 in his five matches against uh, top five opponents. That's the small sample size, but it's the best of current players on the ATP Tour by win percentage. And, you know, he's a guy who's now 12 and 19 in his matches against top 20 opponents, but has played three sets in nine of 12 of those matches and just, you know, he's your modern tennis player through and through, can do a little bit of everything. Six foot six, has length, the big serve, comfortable moving forward, comfortable playing offense, but a fluid mover so he can play defense as well. He's creative. The problem for him is, again, channeling it match in, match out. This is the first time we saw him play his best tennis consecutively seven. Six matches, however many it was in a row. Can he continue to do that? He's the world number 16 now. Certainly the draws get a little bit easier. The opportunities become a little bit bigger but yes, there's a reason we've been high on him here at Crack Rackets for quite a bit of time. It's because he does have everything you want from your modern men's tennis player. This weekend was the culmination of a lot of hard work. It was a lot of things going his way, a lot of perseverance, but Hoobie Hercats is a stud, folks. And again, this was a well-deserved title. I mentioned his path earlier. Uh, you can't say he didn't earn it. Just quickly on some Yannick Sinner notes, you know, he... Joined a bunch of elite company, youngest guy to make a Masters 1000 title since Rafael Nadal, and, you know, youngest player to make the final in Miami since Djokovic did it at 19. I think Djokovic was a little bit older, but still. You know, Yes, he lost the final match, but his win over RBA in the semifinals and just the way he outpowered Bublik in the quarterfinals, just his performance here to start the season. He's number nine right now by Tennis Abstract's ELO rating, which measures who you play, not when or where, like the ATP rankings do. That feels about right for a player who's now inside the top 25 for the first time in his career, and I have to say, he joins the elite of the elite next-gen tier for me. I will be shocked if Yannick Sinner doesn't win multiple grand slams. And I don't say that to put pressure on him. I say that to say that's how fond I am of his game. That's how much the ball explodes off of his racket. And he just seems to get better and better every time I watch him. He's only 19 years old. This is the first of many Masters 1000 finals in his career. Of course, if you're Pass Medvedev, Rublev, you're certainly disappointed to have fallen in the quarterfinals and semifinal rounds. It was a very winnable major. RBA was a stud. You know, Rublev, just, Hercats was more disciplined. Hercats got off to early break leads to start, broke Rublev in his opening service games of set 1 and 2. Sometimes in men's tennis, that's the difference. And Hubie was that good. Uh, Rublev, you know, he talked about the pressure in the post-match press conference dealing with being a front-runner, but I really enjoy the conditions in Miami, how physical the tennis was, and overall, a fantastic week. Gotta feel good for Hubie Hercats to take home his first Masters 1000 title. Let's talk about this week's action on the WTA Tour. Crazy to think we are already starting our transition to the Clay Court season, but that's where we're at here on the 2021 calendar. We've got two WTA level events for all of us fans to enjoy in Bogota. It's a relatively muted draw. Of course, a bunch of top 100 players were just in Miami. They're not quite ready to make that transition to the clay, but we do have a bunch of fun players in action. Of course, you've got a uh, number one seed, Shui Zhang, your number two seed, Sarah Cerebez Tormo. Crazy to think Ceribes Tormo, whom goes final, uh, you know, wins in Guadalajara, makes semifinals in Monterey, quarterfinals in Miami. She's played so much tennis of late into the top 50, but taking advantage of that, ranking with that number two seed and I think she is someone certainly to circle as we head throughout uh, as we monitor this clay court season someone to make damage just such a physical gift physically gifted player makes matches so such track meets Uh, so interesting to see how she plays on the clay fascinated to see Clara Tawson who goes from unseeded outside the top 100 to the number four seed here at this event how does she handle WTA level competition on clay she's been successful on every surface in her career. Thus far, uh, but again, a lot of fun action in Bogota, in Charleston. Again, the WTA riches get richer. It continues to just week in, week out, provide us the goods. Here's the list of seeds and then some of the other players in the draw. You tell me if you're not entertained by this. Barty, Kennan, Kvitova, Bencic, your top four seeds. After that, Muguruza, Mertens, Keys, Vondrusova. You've also got Rabakina, Goff, Anisimova, Rogers, Putinseva, Fernandez. They're no weeks off. As a women's tennis fan, so many of the top players, so many serious content for the french open title kicking off their clay season a in beautiful charleston which is a renowned tour favorite to those you ask and then b on the green clay as well this is an event we didn't really get to see last season we saw some exos in charleston but i'm sure the players are thrilled to have this event back hopefully we'll be on press row here at crack rackets get the chance to speak with some of the players it's going to be fascinating to see how Barty bounces back physically how all of these players adjust to the hot you know Spring, humid spring that is Charleston uh, conditions, and of course, uh, you know, just in general, quality of tennis here to start out the clay court season. I'm expecting it to be high, it has been across the board here to start the 2021 WTA season, but certainly between Bogota, between Charleston, all of us fans of the WTA Tour, we've got a lot of fun action to monitor this week. Let's talk now about the ATP action we have set for this week. We've got two ATP 250 events on the red clay. Let's start in Marbella, Spain. Pablo Carreno Busta, your number one seed there. Fabio Fonini, the number two seed. Casper Rude, a guy who I'm just saying it now. I'm staking my claim. He's making the second week of the French Open, barring him playing a top four seed in that third round match. I just think, you know, we've seen it the past two seasons. He the this clay court season, it was South American clay court swing in 2019. Last year was just broadly on the clay. He's as tough as an out as you're going to find, moves the ball around the court so well, has the big forehand and, you know, again, can construct points, has the big kick serve to open up the court and just slides into his shots. He's a dangerous number three seed, in my opinion, the front runner. Well, Crano Boost is the front runner, but Rude my number two guy right now heading into this event, of course, your number four seed, Albert Ramos, Vanoles, you've also got, uh, Uh, Pedro Martinez Portero excuse me Hami Munar Alejandro Davidovich Fokina and Carlos Alcaraz all lingering in the draw promises to get physical promises to be some really fun tennis event number two happening in Cagliari where you have perhaps the funkiest top two seeds on a clay court event in history in Dan Evans and Taylor Fritz if I would have told you Dan Evans and Taylor Fritz are going to be top two seeds on a clay event this year you would have laughed at me but there you have it those are your top two seeds, regardless of how non-traditional that may sound. Your number three seed, Lorenzo Sinago, Your number four seed, Nicolas Basilashvili. You've also got Lorenzo Musetti, Yannick Hanifman, amongst many other dangerous floaters in the draw. And again, much like with the women's side, the big story for the men, how do they transition from the hard courts to the clay? This is, you know, again, it's a quick transition, no stop. A lot of these players were in Miami just a week ago, and you get one week to transition to train on the clay and you still have to deal with adjusting to all of the regulations that come with trying to play a tournament in a pandemic. It's a fascinating start to this clay court season. Still no Nadal, uh, still no team who are the big players come French Open time, Djokovic obviously as well. But, you know, again, there are a lot of dangerous lingerers. If the South American swing was any foreshadow of what we're about to see here during this European clay court swing, things are going to get funky. Things are going to be fun. So again, it should be another fun fun week of ATP
0: Tour Action
1: For this week's deciding point, I wanted to talk about a subject that I certainly find interesting, and I think a lot of you Cracked Rackets fans will as well. Now, for the first time since 2011, the ATP rankings this week will not feature John Isner in the top 30. It's something I discussed on one of our mini break pods, but Isner... Losing the final points from his 2019 Miami Open run drops out of the top 30 for the first time since 2011. That snaps the fourth longest active streak on tour. Who did Isner trail? Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. That's pretty elite company now. With this news as well, Isner's supplanted as the top American in the singles rankings by Taylor Fritz. And look, he had been supplanted before. Jack Sock had his run. Sam Querrey has had some nice runs. But this time it feels like it's going to last. This time with the presence of Fritz, Tiafoe, Paul, Opelka, Korda, Nakashima, Brooks beyond his tails. It does Sandgren you can throw in there as well. Kudla, Sock. It does feel like... The generational shift in American men's tennis has finally happened, and it's just worth appreciating what John Isner has accomplished throughout the course of his career. Reached a career high of number eight a few years ago. Has the one Masters 1000 title, which he won at the 2018 Miami Open. He also has four runner-up appearances, all at hard courts. Uh, he's a guy who has 15 titles in his career that leads all Americans in the pa- who have competed in the past decade. Uh, um, I mean, you know, he has wins over Federer. He has wins over Nadal. You look at his records against top ten players. He, you know, two and eight against Federer, two and ten against Djokovic, one and seven against Nadal, two and four against Roddick, a guy who was, you know, five and one against Milos Raonic, two, uh, three and two against Stan Wawrinka, four and eight against Juan Martín Del Potro. Why am I reading all of those off for you? Because I think it's important to discuss John Isner's ceiling. When looking at the context of his career, and of course that's not a pun, ceiling, he's a seven footer, ha 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 ha, no, his ceiling as a tennis player and what his serve allowed him to do, and for his career, you know, career hold percentage of 92.8%, I'm going to venture out there and say, if that's not the best in ATP tour history, it's in the top three, he's right up there, you know, uh, year in, year out with the Raniches, ran with the Delpos, with the fetters of the world in terms of holding serve, and yes, The rest of his game is limited. You're never going to fall in love with his ground strokes. You're never going to love, aesthetically, the way Isner's game works. And it's funny because, despite his size, I actually think he's most comfortable when he is seven feet behind the baseline. And you have to give him a lot of credit for improving his volleys, becoming a competent volley, or becoming a more competent returner and continuing to become better and better as a mover. You see him without a shirt from time to time. There's not an ounce of fat on John Isner, and that's a testament to how hard he works, how much he puts into his body, into his craft. And again, I don't really care right now about your thoughts of his off-court comments, your thoughts on his political beliefs. I'm talking purely about him as a tennis player. When you think about in a single match, if he if they're both playing their best tennis, who is more likely to win the match? A John Isner or a Roberto Bautista, a John Isner, or a David Goffin, a John Isner, or, you know, a Joe Wilfred Sanga Sanga might be the exception to that, but you would probably say John Isner, right? Because when Isner serves well, it doesn't matter the surface, it doesn't matter the opponent, it doesn't matter the scenario. He gives himself a chance to win. And he plays tiebreakers. And, yeah, sometimes the tiebreakers go against him. Sometimes they go there his way. Sometimes he hits that big return winner down the line. Sometimes he misses all of his returns, and he doesn't win the tiebreaker. But while it's not a Hall of Fame career, only the one semifinal, two quarterfinals at majors, yes, a Masters title is impressive, 15 titles overall, sensational. There's a higher standard than that to get into the Tennis Hall of Fame. But John Isner was really freaking good throughout the prime of his career. And, of course, his developmental story going to the University of Georgia playing college tennis is something we will always sympathize with and and always enjoy here at Crack Rackets in particular. But there's a reason he had success against top ten guys. There's a reason you never want to face him is because on the wrong day, if he's serving well – You just – it's really, really hard to beat him. And again, it's a testament to his hard work that he became better as a volleyer, better as a returner, that he put forward the consistency of his career. Ten years inside the top 30, folks – there's not a long list of players who have accomplished that certainly in the past decade, uh, but throughout the courses of their careers, under 50, I would imagine he's one of those guys who just his longevity, his single, you know, his skill set applied across surfaces, applied year after year. And you know, you're seven feet tall, very injured to get, in, uh, very easy to get injured. Yeah, he had some lingering injuries, but more often than not, John Isner was there. He showed up, and availability is always the best ability, as the cliche goes. And John isner was always available for american men's tennis fans did we embrace him like we should have no probably not but it's the end of an era with isner losing this ranking to fritz who is clearly a part of that next gen cohort and i just wanted to take today's deciding point to remind everyone there's a reason john isner was in the top 30 for more than a decade